You ready, Rick? What's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm good to go, boss. Hell yeah. All right, that's good, because this is Heavy Hole Podcast coming in hot this week. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, joined by my co-host, longtime Heavy Hole Podcast, doom metal correspondent, Rick Habib. How you doing, Rick? Hey, how you doing? What's going on there, William? Uh, not too much. I'm feeling good. I got the uh, stuffed peppers in the oven. We got some nice fresh bread from the grocery store. Wow. Everything's wow. looking lovely. Uh, we just figured we'd um, uh, introduce everybody uh, be- before we get into tonight's uh, feature production. Rick, what's going on with you? Uh, you know, just the uh, same old, getting off work, doing a little exercise, about to eat some chickens that I'm going to throw into the air fryer. Dude, wow. uh, I don't know if you have an air fryer, but it's a game changer, man. Air fryer is the shit, and it's the best. And I eat it every night. I, I don't know. I put, throw the chickens. I put the, the, the rub on the chickens, and I throw it right Whoa. in the air fryer, and it's delicious. Wow. Getting 15 a little, minutes. Amazing. Getting a little, yeah, so getting a little frisky. Yeah. That's what my life is right now. Air fryer, chickens, Peloton, work, and maybe a little death metal sprinkled in. Yeah, getting a little frisky with them chickens there. Slow yeah, down. Yeah, Slow yeah, down yeah. with the, <laughs> the rub and everything. Um, but you are listening to between all this rubbing and chickens and whatever's going on and air frying. And everywhere I go, somebody's telling me I got to get an air fry. You're right. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll follow up on that in the future. You do listen to death metal and doom metal music. And you have yes. procured a few recommendations for me and the listeners that we're going to get into later. Is, is that accurate, sir? Yeah, absolutely accurate. Beautiful. Most definitely. Beautiful. And just, uh, you know, we're going to be up front and um, above the table, not under the table about this. Rick, you're my bandmate in not only Buckshot Facelift, but Reeking Aura. That uh, is correct. We're bandmates in two times, two bands. Yeah, we're yeah, uh, Dutch cousins or something. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Eskimo brothers. No, that's something else. But um, uh, we, we got a bicycle built for two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's built a, for four, actually. If me bi- and you were riding a bicycle, <laughs> a bicycle built for six. That's a, that's a that's a picture you and me on a bicycle built for two. I like that. That might be the next music video. And you and me have been doing a lot of interviews lately for other platforms. Shout to uh, Dreams of Consciousness and Adrian out there. Um, shout, what, what was that guy? The comfy guy on the couch the other day? Yeah, the chill guy on the couch. That was the that was good. That was fun. Yeah, we just I, did one in the UK just now. Yeah, we got you could you can follow uh, Reeking Aura on um, Facebook or IG or wherever you got the social medias, and we're gonna post all the links. We've been doing a lot of interviews together. So me and Rick, since we're so cozy, uh, we we thought that we would um uh, sit in and host these host this episode together tonight. Um, other than, other than that, we got the Blood and Bone Meal album just dropped on Profound Little Records last week. Um, we're very very overwhelmed by the response. We appreciate all the support we've been getting for that. You, you can check that out wherever you check out music. Um, big shout to Profound Little Records. Uh, and we got a show coming up. I think we'll get into that a little bit later after the interview, right, Rick? Yeah, that show we're getting ready for it. Uh, it's about a month away. Yesterday was the one month uh, poll, so we're about a month away from that show. It's going to be awesome. Curating the set list and all those types of behind mm-hmm. the scene things. Mm-hmm. Speaking speaking of behind the scene things, Rick, you're from the island of Staten. Yes, I am, and I'm from uh, the uh, unfortunately, but yes, I'm from the island of Long. And we in this culture cultural exchange that we're having right now. I'm going to introduce you to a, another young man from Long Island. Tonight's guest, we're going to talk to none other than Mike Bruno, aka Mike Dumps of the bands Iron Sheik and Adult Magic, and also well known throughout the local and regional scene for his work on his label Dead Broke Records. 
This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Mike Bruno, known in some circles as Mike Dumps of Dead Broke Records, Iron Chic, uh, Adult Magic, and many other projects. Did I get that right, sir? Yes, you did. Welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Will. Appreciate it. Uh, of course, man. And, um... Uh, you know, it's like I was telling you behind the scenes a little bit, you know, we, we normally cover like the, the sludgiest, um, most brutal, bombastic, uh, death metal and grindcore sometimes and all that sort of thing. Um, but to, tonight I think we're going to go a little bit more on the rock side of things, on the punk side of things and into a scene that, uh, the, the listeners might know is a little close to my heart and close geographically to me in terms of where I grew up. Uh, and and we'll get into it in a, in, a, in a minute, and I think people will realize what I'm talking about because you come from um, a part of the Long Island underground music scene that I think like overlaps a little bit with metal and grindcore and hardcore, but always set yourselves up apart from it as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Long Island's like uh, I think it's pretty good like that where everything crosses together at times because it's so big, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, so big, so big and so small at the same time. But I won't get philosophical, Mike. Um, Mike, you're originally from Long Island, right? Uh, yeah, I am Holbrook. Actually, born and raised Holbrook. So we're talking a little bit further east of um, Long Island than than I am. You're like you're like pretty much uh, out there in Suffolk County. Yeah, yeah, deep in Suffolk. Uh, I'm out in West Islip now, but that's only been a couple of years. But yeah, everything I uh, came up doing was out of Holbrook. Yeah. Okay, so the typical heavy hole question to start us down the road here: Are you from a musical family? Any musicians in your family um, that predate you, or anyone that got you into uh, rock and harder music along the way? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I had some uh, some friends. Uh, like my best friend's older brother was the one that first gave me like my first punk CD and stuff like that. I mean, my, my grandfather was, uh, was like into music and like big band stuff and my grandmother too. But as far as that goes, yeah, that's pretty much it. I was just kind of like the black sheep of my family when it came to music. Even my parents didn't really, I don't really remember them listening to music or anything like that. It was really just, you know, uh, really my best friend's older brother and, and kids I was hanging around with that really, really got me into it, you know? So what uh, album did your best friend's older brother play you? <clears throat> uh, it was probably the first or second, like, Punkorama CD. Uh, I had just gotten into, like, Green Day from seeing the video on TV and shit like that, and I, didn't, I don't think I really knew what punk was. Uh, I just knew I liked them, and uh, he gave me a CD with a bunch of bands on it, No Effects, and Descendants, and shit like that, and then it was game on after that, pretty much. <laughs> well, well, I gotta quickly, I gotta give credit um, to Red River Podcast, and I Want to Party with Bob uh, Podcast, both of whom have interviewed you in the past uh, as research, um, because I, I know from doing that that you... Uh, you credited Green Day's Dookie, um, along with the replacements and the Goo Goo Dolls, as being like your favorite band. Some of your like three favorite bands, I guess, at the moment when you had to pick them. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Green Day is like, yeah, I have to attribute Dookie to 
you know, being the record that, that started it all for me. Probably wouldn't be talking to you right now if it wasn't for that one. Fair enough, man. Okay, so because I'm, like, you're only a few years younger than me, but I felt like there was a, a different generational thing. Like, through the 90s, it was, like, very specific what, gen like, you were, you could have been from the new metal generation or the new metal scene, the pop punk scene. There was a, like, there was a lot of specifics and then hip hop and the whole thing. So what I'm getting at really is... Did you see that as a generational thing? Because this this larger Long Island um, subculture of of punk uh, and and this type of music that you and a lot of your network of people represent, do you think that like that kind of comes from that '90s uh, big rush of of like I don't want to call it corporate punk, but you know like 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 when Green Day and Rancid and all those bands blew up. I mean, I think there's no real denying the influence of that. I mean, I I think to an older generation around that time. That was kind of like, you know, the corporate sellout shit. And then, you know, there was a younger generation of of kids my age that that was on the Green Day, all, all the stuff that they were playing on MTV. I definitely think that uh, spawned a, a whole new generation of, of punks, definitely. And, and bringing it to the mainstream, as much as the punk scene pushed back against that at the time, I feel like it was important for it uh, to continue on and, and the next generation to grab the torch and, and just expose it to more people. Yeah, I definitely think that there's no denying the influence of that. I mean, most of my friends and bandmates of my age, it's like Green Day and Nirvana that did it, you know? Yeah, and, and yeah, and I say that respectfully. Um, you know, it's just I feel like I was, you know, I was always obviously a little bit more inclined towards like extreme metal and things like and things like that. It just wasn't um, for me necessarily, but it was adjacent. And I, you know, I've uh, cousins and and friends and family members that all kind of were in that um, that musical school, you know, so to speak, of Nirvana, Green Day, and those type of bands, and. For the listeners now, too, because like I don't want it to appear so superficial because I kind of grew up watching the Hobo House bands, Ladderman uh, and a lot of these things, you know, Contra, a lot of these things that would kind of go into what we're talking about here on Long Island. And if anything was embraced, it was a DIY ethic. It was um, kind of like a platform for, uh, you know, maybe some certain social commentary, social awareness, things like that. You guys were all over that. If anything, I would say like the one thing that really marks this long island punk scene you're part of is you guys have always been um i wouldn't say anti-commercial but you've always embraced that diy ethic above everything else is that fair uh yeah totally and i think um you know i i, I kind of got involved with that whole scene of people like the you know the latterman kids and the traffic violation stuff like later on i i, I wasn't quite there in the beginning i think a lot of people place me there just because <laughs> of my association now and and how i've you know playing in bands with all those people and releasing their records and stuff like that but actually in the beginning when i first started coming around to that scene i kind of felt like a little excluded but it kind of worked out because it kind of pushed me to do my own thing and, and kind of start my own thing and, and my own bands and the, and the record label and start doing my own shows. Uh, and it wasn't until later on that I really linked up with them. Like we had our own kind of thing going on in Suffolk County and, and 
my first band down the dumps was like the first time I, I really like, you know, met the Latterman guys and started hanging out with all of them and, and just kind of like blended scenes, you know, I kind of came into it a little later on to be honest from them. Uh, cause we were just doing our own thing out, out in Holbrook and, and Patchogue and shit, you know? Oh, okay. Um, got it. And that's interesting because, Especially in the late 90s, you know, we had the internet, but like, you know, AOL chat rooms were not like what we have today with, you know, file sharing and, you know, Facebook and IG and all this stuff. So like, maybe describe for the listeners, because I know how isolated Holbrook still is to an extent and definitely was in the 90s in terms of people trying to get into a subculture and music and that sort of thing. Maybe describe what it was like for you as a teenager trying to figure out what, what punk and hardcore was and how you could even get to see it. Uh, yeah, it was like, it was pretty, uh, confusing at first. Like I said, when I first got into it, I didn't really know what it was. I had just liked everything from, you know, Green Day and Nirvana and Ranted to Nine Inch Nails and shit like that and started getting into, you know, no effects and more of the punk stuff. And I, I think it was, uh, just what I was like in, in like seventh or eighth grade, my, my, uh, one of my classmates she gave me a tape of her brother's band and it was this band called super matchbox. And it was like this pop punk band. And, uh, I just got obsessed with it. And I remember trying to book them for like a birthday party and stuff like that. And I think that was like the first time I really realized like, Oh shit. Like I can do this too. You know what I mean? Like I could start a band too. I could like record something too. And then, you know, later on when I, started going to all the shows at, over at Ren's house and the whole Latterman scene and stuff like that. It like, I learned more about, you know, the DIY ethic of it and, and the scene of it and the morals and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty isolated out in Holbrook. Funny enough, we do have uh, a pretty like old school history with like hardcore and stuff like that. Like bands like beyond and, um, orange nine millimeter and shit like that. A lot of them like kind of started out in that area in Holbrook and stuff. Like I didn't know about that till later on when I became immersed in, in DIY. I, I just, you know, when we were doing shit out there, I thought we were the only ones that had ever did, <laughs> did it out there. That's how isolated it was, you know, but it was really just taking pieces of everything I saw around me and everything I started to get into around me, uh, to learn how to do it myself, you know? But I think we were like, you know, we, we kind of felt like outcasts ourselves, even from the DIY scene, maybe felt like we weren't in cool enough bands or whatever like that. So that like really like pushed us to really do it ourselves because nobody else was going to do it for us, you know, or, or, or book us on their shows or whatever. So, uh, it's funny how I, it came full circle and now I'm playing in bands with those people and recording with them and putting out their records and stuff <laughs> like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's something it's that definitely I th- funny. it's something that I think happens in different scenes <laughs> and different genres of music is where after you're around somewhere regionally, geographically in the scene, doing your own bands, doing your own stuff, after a while, it's kind of like, um, like how Mercury comes together. You know what I mean? It's like the, you know, Pete, 
people that are like of a, a certain mindset and of a certain inclination kind of gel together after a while. If, if you know, it's Long Island's not that big in a way. You know, it, like I, I know this from myself, part of my experience in the death metal scene um, over the years. There's just been people who like, like who I've had on the podcast or who I'm very friendly now. And like, if you told me 20 years ago, I, I would know these people. I'd be like, wow, that's, you know, that's crazy. You know, I look up to these people. So it's. You know, the the longer you invest in a scene, you know, you the, the 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 scene goes through changes, things get more popular, less popular, and the true people stick it out. Let me ask you one question based on that though, and on what you're talking about with, with being in Holbrook in the suburbs of Long Island where it was a little bit harder to, to catch this type of music. Something I wrote down, and this was inspired by a band you put out their album, Somerset Thrower. Um, who's a more right. mo- a more modern band that embodies this this type of sound and vibe we're talking about? They had a video, "Wake Up, Motherfucker, It's Casual Friday" was the song, and they had a video with the guy skateboarding through the suburbs, and all of his friends are disappearing. It was very, it was really poignant to me, man. As someone who grew up in the suburbs and got old out here and watched people move away, but what I'm getting at here's the question: Do you think the Long Island punk scene? is in some way influenced by, it's like a reaction or an alternative to this New York hardcore and New York punk legendary legacy scene that people associate with New York. And suburban punk, in a way, is more conscious of itself and forging its identity. Yeah, definitely. The city as a teenager and stuff, I'm sure you know, like hopping on the train and going to a show at CB's or wherever the fuck it was definitely uh, inspired me and a lot of other kids from around here to to come back home and, and do something like that back home for sure. I mean, uh, big, big influence on that, you know? I mean, seeing everybody else doing it out there just made me want to do it out here, you know? And I, I think there's something interesting to the point where you say if you if you stick with anything long enough, you can come full circle and that's true i like to call people like me and you lifers you know (laughs) (laughs) where we'll we'll be doing it forever you know and there's people that come and go move move away and in and out of phases but when you stick around doing something long enough like all of a sudden you turn around and the people you once looked up to are now your peers or maybe you even surpass them you know what i mean it's 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 pretty cool it's yeah it's it's humbling and it and it makes you like like uh like they said in ferris bueller you gotta stop and look around every once in a while um to, to absolutely to keep perspective so all right so we established kind of like this this different um punk rock scene that you guys are kind of making out of nothing uh for yourselves you mentioned the band down in the dumps that's the first band i associate you with i know from the other interviews you were in a uh, kind of a short-lived project dobbler that was the first official Dead Broke Records release. Um, do you want to just talk about forming? I don't know if you want if you want to touch on that band and then get into Down in the Dumps, which had a little bit more of um, of, a, of a longer run in terms of touring and performing live. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Dobbler, funny enough, was uh, a band we kind of started. That band I mentioned before, Super Matchbox, that I got the tape of. Uh, I wound up befriending all these older people that were in these bands because I started hanging out with a girl um, at that time whose older sister was friends with all these people. Uh, That girl was Kristen, who wound up becoming my wife. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like, just hanging around those people and and going to their shows, Super Matchbox shows and Embarrassing Rex and all these pop-punk bands and, and... 
a bunch of guys from those bands and me who were was much younger than them decided to start a band. It was Dobbler. It was kind of like an indie, you know, emo-ish band, more indie rock. And uh, we just kind of started doing that. That was the first time I started, like, playing out of Long Island. We did some shows upstate. We did some shows in Brooklyn. And that's kind of how I started the label, putting out that demo. And <clears throat> then when that band folded... Me and the drummer started uh, Down the Dumps, which was more of like a crimp shine, you know, bands like that. We are getting heavy into bands like that, so we just wanted to just start a, a gruff, sloppy pop punk band. And uh, that, that band is how I made most of the connections and friends uh, that I have today, just um, going on tour and getting our record put out by a label in Florida. And then I just started doing shows at my house and uh, just hundreds of bands probably came through <laughs> and from all over the place. And every time, you know, I would book a band from out of state or out of the country. That was a hookup I had in that spot. So, I mean, I kind of owe everything to that band down the dumps because I've made lifelong friends, like, from that band, and that's the band that kind of started it all. Like, Dobbler was my first band, but Down the Dumps was the band that, like, really forged away from me, I would say. All right. Um, uh, got it. And that's... Now, before you said, if I got a... Uh, is it Crimshine? That's a, that was a band you yeah. mentioned? Yeah. Okay, I'm not familiar, to be honest. Like I said, this we're delving into an area of hard music that's not necessarily my specialty. I tried to do my research, and I know we brought up The Replacements before, who I am a little bit more familiar with. Um, and so would you say, like, this kind of very melodic but still raw, energetic punk rock sound that um, influences your, your style a lot and I think maybe goes into Iron Sheik, would you trace those two bands as, like, big influences? On me, personally, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, we, that's the kind of thing we always did. Like, when we say pop punk, it's, like, not the same pop punk to what each person thinks that is. Now it has a different meaning because we've passed generations. But even <laughs> even back then, saying pop punk might have meant, you know, Blink-182 or something, or some 41 or something like that. But we were doing a different style, right? It was bands like Leatherface and stuff like that. It was, like, melodic punk rock yeah i mean and and i think as far as that goes even around here right now there's not many bands playing pop punk and punk and long island scene is popping off right now i mean i'm a little bit out of the loop because of covid it's been a <laughs> it's been a couple of years but i know there's all types of new bands starting up and it's going strong but yeah it just seems like uh the style we play is kind of like <laughs> Uh, a dying breed, almost. I would say. <laughs> but, well, you know, the the kids love death metal now, which I, is, a, is a, it's as weird to me as it is to you. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, right. I, I'm waiting for that that full circle moment. I guess when 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 what we play is like uh, cool again. I guess. <laughs> well, you know, in in a way, like Latterman is kind of like the suffocation. Uh, you know, and, and Iron Sheik is kind of like the Pyrexia of, like, you know, if we're talking about like translating to from death metal to pop punk terms. But uh, you said something interesting there about the pop punk, because when we say pop punk, 
a lot of people from like, uh, especially listeners of this show who are more on the metal side of things might think of like Good Charlotte or, well, you know, I don't know, um, you know, these like very, very kind of like commercial, like, you know, shiny produced, like comedic bands in a way almost i can't really think of the word but but i think of your guys and the way you use the term pop punk and the bands that might have inspired you the same way i look at the term screamo or emo which in the 90s right. emo would be like i don't know the get up kids sunny day real estate jade tree records like you know something that was kind of indie rock and still a little cool and then screamo would have been like rorschach and uh, I don't know, like Black Army Jacket, maybe. I don't know, like these grindy, screamy bands from, from the local scene uh, you know, out here. But nowadays you say emo, obviously we know it, it has a whole different connotation. Do you think the same thing happened to pop punk? Absolutely. I think, I think it's with any genre, you know, when, when it passes hands and it passes through generations. You know, they're calling power pop something different now, too. You know what I mean? It's just just the way it is with genres, you know. Um, but yeah, when I say pop punk, I'm talking about old school Green Day and <laughs> fuck even the remote, even the Ramones. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. pop punk to me. You know what I mean? So, well, the, the Ramones had like legitimate pop chart hits. You know, <laughs> like you know, the, of course, I would, I would, I would say that they're probably the maybe the first band you know you would want to bring up in that right. Like I, I don't know much about that Absolutely. scene. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely, and the most important, definitely. So, all right, so down in the dumps, you guys get out there, um, uh, you put out a, a few albums, you, well, you put out, I'm, I'm, hold on, I'm sorry, I'm doing, I'm trying to uh, look it up right now, but you did put out um, Dumps Luck, uh, and then you broke up in 2008, was there any other albums besides that? Uh, not albums, we did a uh, split seven inch and some tapes and shit like that but yeah that was just the one main album and oh. then basically the same band was like jones and came after that which was basically the same kind of thing as down the dumps but down to a three-piece uh but basically the same people um just slightly different but i mean we played down the dump songs on tour and and shit like that so it was kind of the same band <laughs> but yeah that and then that band did did probably more than than down the dumps, Jones and yeah, I, I remember from the you know as I was like you know taking my notes, I was like thinking back about what what bands I knew had been active live a lot in our local scene here, and I remembered uh, Jones and as well. But what I what I wanted to ask now about this: when do you first record? with phil douglas um who was definitely worthy of his own interview himself we, we you know we would love to invite him here one day um and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how he factors into things as we go on uh i believe it was dumb fluck i think that was the first time that i recorded with him um was the down the dumps album um which is we have some pretty hilarious memories of just crushing like a hundred beers and stopping the <laughs> mixing of the record to go to a party at uh joe and tia from fellow project's house and shit it was just the band was like you know early mid-20s party shit you know what i mean like just drunk punk i guess so but yeah that was the i had some friends that were recording with phil and uh, i think that was the first time i recorded with him was was the dumb suck album 
Okay, and you mentioned Joe and Tia from Fellow Project, long-running band um, based, I believe they were from Huntington Station. I know they're from my local area, uh, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they've always been really nice people. I've always had a lot of respect for them kind of doing their own thing musically and, and artistically too, man. I'd, I'd love to speak to them eventually. Uh, but while I got you here now, we talk about Phil Douglas. Do I have this right? He was the guitarist. He was in Latterman, right? Yes. Okay, which yeah. is which is a band that comes up a lot, very in, like uh, influential, um, big band in our local scene here in this type of music we're talking about. And he, uh, we talked about the Hobo House when we interviewed John Berg, and the Hobo House was a local suburban house here that allegedly had tons and tons of DIY shows in the basement or the living room sometimes, and that same basement functioned uh, as Phil Douglas's studio for many years. So that's kind of, I just, just to catch the listeners up to speed what we're talking about here. So at that point, you, is it safe to say you've kind of like crossed over into this scene that's more um, from my area, from like central Suffolk, that you were saying before you felt a little separated from? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Phil was like the integral part of that, meeting him, becoming friends with him, recording with him. Then, we, you know, our band started playing shows together. I was, you know, down the dumps playing at the Hobo House. And yeah, definitely Phil was the one that, that you know, brought me in and, and we started doing shit together because, you know, Phil, Phil's incapable of being mean to anybody. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I I, yeah, I I like Phil. I'd love to get him on the show, like I said before. Um, long list of people I want to get get on on the program. But so now now moving forward from there, I you know you said down in the dumps, kind of like you know it, it changes in a way into this band Jones in. There's like some elements carrying over there, um, and I know that you put out the uh, Iron Sheik demo. I if I got that right in 2008. And the shitty Rambo right. EP uh, shortly thereafter. So you released those on the label, but you're still not in the band yet, right? Right, right. So with Down in the Dumps breaking up, I guess there's just kind of like an opening in Iron Sheik at some point, and you're naturally enlisted before the um, not is is it before not like this in 2010? Yeah. So basically, what happened is you know Jones and had become pretty close to Iron Sheik. We took Iron Sheik in the same van together. Uh, you know, we had become pretty close and, um, I joined a band out in Queens called Get Bent, uh, pretty short lived band for about a year. Uh, we recorded all our stuff with Phil and, and just, you know, we all started becoming closer and Iron Sheik was on dead broke and they were like my favorite band. And, um, yeah, Phil was basically going to move away to Olympia because uh, that's where Maddie Canino moved, uh, who was also in Latterman. And Phil was going to move out there, and uh, <clears throat> they had some problems with the bass player who left and uh, basically was presented to me as, hey, do you want to fill in for Fest, this Fest show that we have? And it's probably going to be our last show, and then Phil's, like, moving to Olympia, so... You know, the band's on my label. Obviously, I want them to play the fest. I'm going to be there anyway. So, sure. Yeah, I'll fill in. And here I am. Little, <laughs> li 12, or, 12 or 13 years later. Little did you know. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So, after that, Phil, uh, the show went crazy. I think it was the first 
one of the first real times around she had like a fucking insane reaction we played this small little bicycle shop at the festival and it was <laughs> fucking packed and sold out and people were going crazy and it was like, holy shit you know and uh after that phil was like i'm not moving you know that was that was too good like do you want to just join the band and i did well okay and um i you know now i got you know respectfully and definitely respectfully because um rob McAllister was a good friend of mine uh i got i got a lot of love for rob McAllister and miss him dearly um and i don't mean to bring that up bluntly but was that your first uh experience meeting him was joining the band was he in the band at that point <clears throat> uh yeah rob had joined the band shortly before i did mm -hmm. uh because brian crozier the guitarist who um, was also in Latterman, had some health issues where he had to leave the band. Uh, so Rob kind of joined a little before me. And, and funny enough, you know, I became very tight and close to Rob, obviously, but we had traced back that we had known each other for a long time and didn't even realize because his old band, The Reformation, mm -hmm. used to play at Saints and Sinners all the time with <laughs> oh Dobler. Saints and Sinners. So, Jesus. Yeah, so we were like, holy fuck, I remember this guy because I was always booking the Dobler shows at St. Dinners when I was like a fucking teenager, and I really liked the Reformation, so I would book them on shows, and they would book us on shows, and, and we played with them quite a bit, and it was funny to make that connection after the fact, after I met Rob and was in Iron Cheek with him, but I was like, wow, we've been doing this for a minute together, and we didn't even know it, you know? Well, Saints and Sinners, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that the very small kind of dive bar that was styled like a like a goth club on Route 347? Yeah, it had, like, Depeche, Depeche Mode yes. fucking posters all over, and I think it was Smithtown, and and it was in the same parking lot as the 24-hour bagel spot. <laughs> yes, there was a Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, my God. I remember, yeah, I got some I got some memories of, they, they had metal shows there, too, man. Um interesting so yeah i you, you bring up the reformation i kind of know some of those guys you know obviously we you shout to tom ander um one of my lifelong best friends since we were like 12 years old he ended sure. up going to saint anthony's high school when we split off from middle school and that's where i think he met the reformation or some of the guys from the reformation and strong point and there was kind of like this like hardcore scene around saint anthony's high school that was separate from the local scene too i don't know if you if you if you ended up knowing any of those guys or if it was just meeting rob later uh no i know i mean i know tom i i met tom a long time ago too probably just from you know buckshot and and thirsty and shit like that yeah. but uh you know, I don't know if I knew Tom that long ago, but yeah, I mean, there was definitely a, a bunch of a bunch of kids that went to St. Anthony's that wound up playing hardcore punk. I know even, you know, a, a member of Latterman or two went there too. I mean, it, it was you know, it's kind of funny. A lot of music came out of kids from who went there. It seems. Yeah, yeah, just because when you mentioned the Reformation, you kind of brought me back to that. Uh, shout to those guys, and yeah, a lot. Okay, so. 
Um, so m- moving forward now, you join Ladderman, and then at what point does it become apparent, like, oh, this is gonna this is gonna continue past just doing this fest and wrapping it up with these guys? This is like a new era of of things. Yeah. So I I joined Chic and and we're like, you know, let's make a record. So and that's uh, shortly shortly after I joined the band, we started working on not like this and uh i started booking us tours i think the tour i booked for that album after it came out was 75 shows in 76 days wow uh, so we uh i had the van you know and i had the contacts and phil had a bunch of contacts but i was always the one in the band the guy you know who booked the stuff who made the merch every band's got one guy and, uh, yeah, I just kind of, you know, took Chic running and, and we, you know, started touring and releasing records and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a lot, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot since then and, and done a shitload of touring, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty wild how it all worked out. You know, it was pretty natural. It was pretty natural. Uh, progression pretty organic which was nice because we were all friends and they were on the label and <clears throat> even even when we got to the point where we're start, starting to do another record you know I was the one that pushed us to to try and find another label just because I wanted to take the band a step further than I knew I could do it with Dead Broke I mean it was probably not the greatest uh, business decision for me <laughs> for Dead Broke taking the most popular band and moving into another label, but that's never how I viewed uh, the label as a business. You know, it just made sense uh, to try and just continue what Sheik was trying to do, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I misspoke before. Iron, Iron Sheik. Uh, so you... You, you said 76 shows in 70... 75 shows in 76 days or something? I think that was the Not Like This tour, yeah. Did you make all, did all of those shows actually get performed? Yeah. That's, that right <laughs> there, that right there is an accomplishment in itself. That's amazing, man. Uh, I, I don't even know how we physically did it at this point. We're much older now. We couldn't, we couldn't do that now, but yeah, I mean, the shit that we used to would do is pretty impressive. I mean, <laughs> pretty pretty crazy to think about now. now. Now, this style of punk that we're talking about that you guys perform, I know that there's definitely different regional scenes for it within the United States. I would imagine certain parts of, of England, but I've never... You guys have traveled pretty far and wide across Europe, I, I know at least, um, and other parts of the world maybe too. How big is this type of music, and how varied is, is the scene for this type of thing? Like, do, do you end up playing with, like, you know, straight-up brutal hardcore bands sometimes in different countries? or Like, what is it, what's the experience like outside of Long Island and the United States with this? Uh, it's definitely interesting. I mean, there's... There's definitely a, a Ladderman did a lot of touring in Europe. I believe one of their first European tours uh, was like three months long, which Jeez. is fucking <laughs> batshit crazy. Uh, wow, that's so see, they, they. I'm sorry. I'm they sorry. Definitely rubbed off over there. Uh, <laughs> you know? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but quickly that speaks to the the caliber of DIY dedication 
uh, and the hobo house and the whole thing I, I'm really trying to get at in this interview and in the interview with John because I was there and I witnessed the dedication in, in, in you and these guys and, and, and these people we're talking about. So three months, that speaks to it right there. So um, I'm sorry, uh, proceed, not to interrupt. No, no, no problem. So, yeah, I think definitely like Latterman definitely left a mark in Europe where there when you know, by the time Iron Sheik started going there, there was a bunch of bands that kind of sounded like that. And, and, you know, we were playing with a lot of melodic punk bands and stuff like that, you know. And funny enough, the guy who took Latterman out there for the first time uh, wound up taking Iron Sheik out there every tour we've done. And at this point, I think it's, uh, fuck, eight tours or something like that. We have eight wow. European tours. And we're still with the same guy that took Latterman over. You know, that's just how we do. You know, this militant DIY, you know, German guy, Jan, <laughs> like the best, the best guy, you know. No, no giant booking agency or, you know, manager or anything like that. Just still fucking doing it DIY over there. Well, so talking about DIY across Europe... <laughs> Uh, you know, p- people like myself, you know, I've never been to Europe. I look forward to hopefully one day getting over there and playing some shows with one of my bands, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. But and some people like me who, ha- who are like the uninitiated, we, you know, we, we picture like these stories we, we've heard of like, uh, host- you know, staying at uh, dirty hostels with squat squatter punks and playing in a cave somewhere. Uh, for motorcycle clubs and stuff like that, we hear all these crazy <laughs> stories from Europe. Like, do you have like do you have anything that would confirm any any stories similar to that or along those lines? Or oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a different world over there. I wouldn't I wouldn't even quite call them uh, dirty. And when they say when they call them squats, it's a different thing out there. A squat is like a government subsidized building called a youth center that the government like gives to these groups of people and it's like a venue. It's like insane. It'll be like an old, like one, one building we've played in uh, multiple times is a fucking old world war two bunker. And it's converted into a music venue with a stage and lights and a bar. And uh, it's just a different world over there, man. Every, everywhere you go, you go to the venue, they cook you a meal at the venue, they feed you. Nine, nine times out of ten, you stay at the venue, there's bunk beds and towels and showers. It's just, it's fucking unreal. It's, it's, like, it's like nowhere else in the world, <laughs> Wow. Well, we've, done, we've done Australia a few, a few times, too, and that's totally different. You know, super fucking expensive and, and kind of like the United States, but... Yeah, Europe is a different thing, man. They they really appreciate the fact that you're coming over from America and they really they really even right down to the to the government and and stuff. They really take the art seriously and they and they provide things for the youth out there. It's not the same thing at all. That that's what I hear and it's funny because uh, especially over the the last two years, I've been reading a lot of these books that came out documenting like the the old school '80s and '90s metal scenes in like Sweden and Finland and uh, different places in Europe. And so many of these classic, um, huge now like long running black metal and death metal bands from Europe started out. The story starts out that when they were 14 years old, they were covering punk bands in a in a youth center in their local town somewhere. You know what I mean? And it's yep. it's, it's always like that's always the story for these bands. It's crazy. 
Um, growing up on Long Island, obviously, we had a slightly different experience with the arts <laughs> and culture. But um, yeah, I mean, they don't really have house shows in Europe because they don't need to. You know what I mean? They have the spaces, yeah. they have the venues, you know? I mean, we do that shit here out of necessity because we don't want to pay some fucking bar or whatever, you know? It's 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 pretty wild. I love touring Europe. I would exclusively tour there if I, and nowhere else if I was able to. So Yeah, so I've heard, man. So I've heard, man. I'll see you guys over there in Europe one day. But um, you also mentioned before, this is something I'm glad we circled around back to with the shows, because you talked before about how you used to have house shows at your house uh, in, in like East Suffolk, Long Island there in, in Holbrook, right? Yeah, yeah. So For a few years there. I mean, let's flip that question from before about playing in Europe. Uh, there had to be some weird experiences letting people into your house and uh, letting different touring bands into your house and in into your area and things like that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we had bands from all over the world play there, stay there. I mean, I, I had had so many bands. And even even just not playing at the house, I I was, I've been doing booking shows since I'm 16 years old, you know, and, and anytime I have a touring band, they stay with me, you know, whether it was, <laughs> they were playing at that, if they weren't playing at the house, then they were staying there. And if they, you know, they were, if they were playing there, they were also staying there. So we had tons of bands, probably a hundred. Yeah. I have horror stories and also great stories, you know, <laughs> it's just all, all types and anything you can imagine down to people pissing on the floor to oh. cops showing up with people in handcuffs <laughs> you name it wow well can i just ask you because we you know i to be respectful of your time then but could i could i ask you to pick maybe like a quick um uh bad story and a quick good story from booking a show at your own house hmm. i'd say the worst one is is i won't i won't name the band but <laughs> A band that I'm not really no longer friends with uh, from a different country uh, who were really reckless and crazy. Uh, one of the members got into a fight with one of the guys in the band. He locked him out of my house. The guy was pissed drunk, started roaming the neighborhood, Ooh. knocking on neighbors' doors, climbing the trees. And six o'clock in the morning, the cops at my door with this guy in handcuffs. Uh, trying to return him back to me, uh, so that was that was pretty awful because that like pretty much was the nail on the coffin of that house, and we had been doing shows for a while and practicing there and all uh, and everything like that, and and the cops like started pulling over my roommates and knowing everyone who lived there, and that was pretty much the the nail on the coffin for that one. Uh, and as far as like good times, holy shit, there's so many. I I can't even think of one that that uh, sticks out for me. I just so many so many good shows and good times, and okay. just trying to think of, of one that sticks out. And I, well, well, fair enough. Well, let me ask you this then: of all the bands that you've had stay at your house and play at your house over the years. Um, you know, obviously this is more of like an extreme metal podcast, but any, any, you know, notable names and any, any that might, that we might be uh, a little surprised played East Long Island at a house. Um, that played there. I mean, not, nothing that notable. I mean, 
Um, I had some pretty weird people stay there. I know uh, Joe Jack Talcum from the Dead Milkman stayed there one time. And interesting. Okay. Uh, just a just a bunch of weird random random people. I can't think of anybody that uh, got huge or anything off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, there were so many. Fair enough. The, the Dead Milkman might be considered a little bit of a forerunner to uh, the type of punk we're talking about a lot, right? Yeah, I would say for sure it's pretty pretty poppy uh, early punk that was not. As aggressive as all the other bands from that time period, sure, definitely. Well, you, when you said aggressive, you just thought you just made me think of another thing I wanted to talk about because I, you know, we like I said, you're a few years younger than me, but we're r- roughly from a similar gem- generation, especially if we're just talking about underground music here on Long Island. And I've talked before a lot on the podcast how metal was kind of out in the late '90s, like like on Long Island in the late '90s. It was all about Victory Records, Hate Breed, Earth Crisis. It was about Indecision. It was sure. about E Town Concrete. It was about hoodies, and you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. did you guys with with what you were doing this more melodic, stripped down, like like you know to the roots of rock kind of punk? that you guys were doing, did you ever have any weird encounters? Did you ever have anybody trying to give you a hard time from those scenes or any kind of, like, scene politics or any stupid shit like that? Because that stuff did happen sometimes. You know, not that I really remember. I mean, I I, I think we pretty much, you know, um, it was pretty smooth sailing. I mean, I'm sure there was there was something that happened along the line, but I, like you said, you know, it, Long Island is so spread out, but at the same time, it's huge, but it's small, especially, you know, with music and stuff like that. And I, I think it was, you know, pretty harmonious anytime we cross paths with a, a metal band or a hardcore band or because we did, you know, it's never like even to this day, I like to keep the shows stacked and, and varied, you know, which is, you know. I remember booking Buckshot a few times on house shows or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to, just to throw it in there and change it up, you know? I think it's important to to keep the shows, you know, different, not just all the bands to be the same, you know? I, I appreciate it, and I promise you Buckshot doesn't drink as much as uh, we used to. Um, we, <laughs> we were... I don't I don't think anybody does anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we were, yeah. Sometimes I look back, all right, but that's for that's for when I get Sal, our drummer, on the podcast to do the um, the apology tour episode. But till, <laughs> and, and, until then, <laughs> until then, um, so moving forward, uh, you know, we we left off with the not like this album. You had joined the band. Uh, so is it safe to say that when you guys put out the constant one, uh, in 2013 on bridge nine records, like you had said before, you were pushing to get another label to put you guys out. Not, not just, um, dead broke records, uh, your imprint with the constant one. Did that feel like, um, cause you know, now you went from just playing a fester or, you know, just being in the band a little while to wrap things up to like a whole new era of the band, a new label. Was that a big step up? Uh, the constant one. Um, I wouldn't call it a big step up. I think the the interesting part about Iron Cheek is that it's been very gradual and that's the way I like it. You know what I mean? I feel like when things explode too fast or you take every single opportunity that might be handed to you, that's when things kind of implode and, and kind of fizzle out. So it definitely elevated the band, it definitely brought us to a whole new audience. 
especially since we were intertwined with a lot of hardcore bands and playing with a lot of hardcore bands and, you know, whether it was more melodic bands or whatever, you know, playing with, you know, Lifetime or whoever it was. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely changed the band and, and brought us to a, a different audience and a bigger audience. But it, I would say it was, this, it was another small step in the Iron Sheep saga, which, you know, we had a different... A uh, record label offer from, you know, a label that was trying to buy us a van and, and this, and it just seemed like too much at once, and it wound up being a good decision because they wound up fizzling out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've we've always um, been able to do it all ourselves. So, in order to do something with somebody else, there had to be, you know, something substantial to gain for us you know um phil records the records lebrano does the art i put them out um we're a pretty self-sufficient band so at any given time we could just decide to write and record and release a record like that and i think that's pretty different than most bands um so yeah i mean it, it definitely helped us out a lot and brought the band into a lot of new eyes and, and a lot of other bands that we looked up to and grew up listening to uh, put us on their radar where they started asking us to come out and do shows with them and stuff, definitely. And and this extremely grassroots, independent DIY process that you just described and kind of fits into the overall narrative I, I've, I've been trying to talk about this episode. Um when you say it separates you from a lot of bands, I would agree. Now, Mike, I didn't bring this up. Do I have it right? Aren't you also uh, an audio engineer in some capacity? No, I'm no, not. Phil. Oh. Phil is the one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I. I think I got that. I was thinking about like your day job type of thing, man. I, I'm thinking of somebody else. Then um, it's it's fine because all I was getting at was I was going to ask, because, you know, you, I'm still sure that you've seen bigger bands and how bigger bands that buy onto tour packages and kind of play a little bit more of the, the, the PR game operate. Um, would you say that you guys and Iron Sheik have been able to avoid making any kind of compromises or doing anything that makes you feel a little corny, you know, in, in that regard by keeping so much creative control over every aspect of the band? 100%. That's the point, right? Um, we never did anything we would scoff at. We never did anything that slightly felt cringy because uh, it's important to keep it real for us and keep it authentic and uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now all that being said about the album and where you guys were at... Um you guys still maintained, I know you, you, you maintained like a pretty busy touring schedule after that, or at least you, you definitely got out there, because didn't you guys go to, if, well, if, if, I'm, if I got it right, was the last tour with Rob to England? Probably, because at that point, yeah, I believe it was, because at that point, um, it's when Rob had his daughter, and he was kind of picking his battles. That's when the band started becoming uh, more of a gun-for-hire thing when it came to touring. We had a couple different guitar players fill in for us to tour, and then after that we had a couple different drummers fill It was always me, Phil, and Lebrano mm-hmm. uh, just going. And uh, once we started touring so much after 
the constant one because we toured on that record for a while too um it was just you know whoever could do it let's go you know what i mean whatever whatever it took to keep it going to keep the the wheels moving and uh yeah i mean rob uh probably was his last tour was probably uh england i know uh one of the last shows if not the last we played with him was at the paramount funny enough Mm. uh while i was working there because i had worked there for seven or eight years and i had got us on got us on a show with the gin blossoms (laughs) funny (laughs) enough that's we played at the paramount we played at the paramount opening for the gin blossoms and i think that was Maybe the last show, if not the second to last show, Rob played with us, yeah. Okay, that's where I got the audio engineer thing. I I, I knew you had worked at a music venue, and you had worked at the Paramount. Yeah, and just, so, a, yeah. yeah just, just bar staff, bar bar back, bartender, shit like that, yeah. Got it, okay. No, no audio. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah, wrong, right train, wrong track, but still, so you, there you, go. you, you, having worked there, you've seen, you've seen what we're, what we're talking about with, you know, bands buying onto tour packages, bands kind of, um, uh, just, just, you know, trying to get over maybe and compromising themselves a little bit, but, you know, we, we talked about that, so, and, and for the listeners, what we're getting at here, um, our, our friend Rob McAllister, uh, he passed away unexpectedly um, at a very young age. It was a very sad time for all of us here. Uh, and um, that was early 2016. Um, I, you know, I don't want to dwell on that. I, you know, I just want to acknowledge it as, as we're moving forward with, this, with the, the story here that we're trying to tell of the history of the band and that sort of thing. Um, let me just ask you this. The, the title of the next album, You Can't Stay Here, was that album in a in a way uh, you guys processing that? I would say subconsciously, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to say because Lebrano is the one that um, like writes the lyrics, writes the titles, does all that stuff, and I know he's been asked this question many times, and um, he doesn't really sit down and specifically write about something in particular, but. I would say so, you know. Yeah, yeah, it struck me very hard today. To be perfectly honest, I hadn't listened to that until today. Um, in a way, Iron Sheik kind of had frozen in my mind from from that point. You know what I mean? So I was like, it was, you know, and it was good. It was good for me to listen to it and and um, kind of kind of get into that space today again and check it all out. I really enjoyed it. Um, to, like I said, honestly, having listened to it for the first time today and it seemed like, I, you know, it didn't seem like, I don't want to say it, 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 it sounded the same as your older material or anything like that, but it just seemed like it was taking the same type of vibe to say, you know, you guys don't really change the, the formula or the recipe from time to time. It sounds like there's an iron chic sound and you're able to replicate it, but still keep it fresh. Yeah, I mean, that record's definitely different. I think it's like, um, it's still, still we, we, uh, I'm sorry, Mike, we, we, we lost you there. Could you, could you just repeat that? We lost you for a second. Uh, I'm just saying, yeah, I mean, I think the last record was, uh, pretty dark, but it sounded like a chic record because of the formula and, and the sound, like it's, it's Phil's formula, you know, he's a genius when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, he's like the main songwriter, but, uh, that record's definitely different. Um, 
because when we were dem we started demoing that record with Rob, uh, weird enough, and uh some stuff had happened and he wound up leaving the band and uh we started the record over after we originally started demoing with him six months or something like that had went by and we got together to start over for the second time demoing this record and that was the day we got the call about rob so it was pretty fucking crazy because we were just like at the hobo house about to start demoing this record that he was part of the old demos of and we found out we got the call we just sat there you know we didn't practice or anything and and the record it's a tough record to listen to because even though he's not on it he's all over it. you know what i mean i think the feeling of that record is is pretty dark and somber i mean we all had experienced a lot of loss um lebrano was going through a, a divorce and we had lost rob and i think a lot of that came through with the general feeling of the record and uh yeah, I mean, that's probably the... I mean, even though Rob's all over the constant one, and when I listen to that record, I hear him all yeah. over it singing, and, and that's where he really... I think me and him were on Not Like This, and we're just kind of like players. And then Rob really kind of like stepped up in the band during the constant one and started really doing a ton of vocals and putting his mark on it. And then, you know, by the time the next record had come... Um, yeah, it was just even though he's not on it, it's it's probably the toughest listen, you know, because he's. We'll never make a record like that again, you know. It was a time and a place and a reaction, definitely. Fair enough, and I appreciate um, I, I appreciate the frank discussion uh, on that. And I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but that's that's kind of how I felt today as uh, an outsider, as a listener, hearing it for the first time. It, it was an emotional listen, but it sounded like it was a cathartic record. Um, and you know, something that at least maybe might help other people process things in, in a way it's that type of music, uh, that you guys do. And I'm, I, you know, not, not to get too personal or anything, but I imagine you guys have had remarks like that and comments from listeners over the years that your music has really helped people in certain places. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a common thing we hear a lot and it's, uh, it's really humbling and, and special always to hear that you know, a song could help somebody in a, in a really tough time, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, that record was super cathartic to get out, you know, it was a, it was a, like a feeling and, and it, we, we had been through a lot to make that record and, and on all the odds were against us, you know, it was pretty impressive that it even happened. So it definitely was cathartic. That's a great word for it. All right, fair enough, and and um, like we and just just quickly for the listeners, uh, Rob McAllister also played in a band Capital from Long Island and Iron Sheik. If they want to, we always quote you know um, reference the music we're talking about for the listeners if they want to go back and check any of this stuff out. Um, and while we're in this time space, it was also 2016, 17. If I got this right, correct me if I'm wrong, that you began the band Adult Magic, right? Uh. The time the timeline sounds right, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever you're looking at probably remembers better than me, but yeah, it sounds about right. That that timeline sounds about right. Fair enough. And this is another band with some related people from the Long Island music scene. 
Um, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me it reflects a little bit less of that pop punk sound, although you can tell it's, you know, it's, it's some familiar people involved, but it actually seems a little bit more like that 90s indie rock sound, not necessarily grunge. What some people, I mean, you could call it all sorts of things. They used to call it like college rock or something, right? I mean, you for want, sure. you know, sure. you want to take it from there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that. It was, you know, we're trying to do something that wasn't punk, but obviously it still comes out kind of punk just because that's what we all know and grew up in and was raised on. But yeah, I think definitely bands like The Replacements and Old School Soul Asylum and Goo Goo Dolls and, and fucking Dinosaur Jr. and shit like that is definitely what we're trying to go for with that band. Yeah, and you guys, um, you have an EP from 2017, a self-titled album from 2019, and more recently, the Leftovers EP, all of which are available on, on Bandcamp, like I said, we, for the listeners. Um, with with this band, now, I, I think I heard you say in one of the other interviews, you've done some touring with Iron Sheik and Adult Magic, where you're doing double sets. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, actually, Jesse who sings and plays guitar in Adult Magic is, uh, was Rob's replacement in Iron Cheek. Mm -hmm. Uh, we knew him from a band broadcaster. Funny enough, uh, Rob, when he left the band and, and we need to do some touring was like, get Jesse. He actually <laughs> told us to get Jesse. Cause he's just a great dude. Uh, probably the only guy in the world that could, be in two bands with <laughs> but yeah the last european tour we did uh with iron cheek adult magic hopped on because you know me and jesse were there and it was just as simple as bringing a drummer along since we're a three-piece so we yeah me and jesse did uh me and jesse were doing double duty each night for two weeks <laughs> uh, so how i mean how was that? Because, like, I mean, it's you're, you're like you're not playing technical death metal or anything, but there's still it's still rigorous to play uh, two sets of any type of music, especially what you guys do live. Was there any um, close calls? Anyone get sick? Anything like that? Dehydration? Uh, no, it was easier than I thought. Honestly, we, me and Jesse, were like really wanted to do it because you know it was a good thing for Adult Magic to you know hop on some good shows with Sheik and, and get our other band exposed to Sheik fans and stuff. Uh, so we were kind of dreading it a little bit, thinking that we were going to be fucking wiped, especially in Europe. They make you play a lot longer than they do here. So <laughs> Sheik's playing an, an hour over an hour every night. Wow. But, uh, and there were some shows where it was only the two bands, Adult Magic and I, and Sheik with no local. So Adult Magic was doing a pretty quick set, like, seven songs but there was a couple times where we did back-to-back -back sets you know uh it was pretty pretty flawless honestly much easier than i thought it was gonna be i think it was just adult magic warming up and got the adrenaline going <laughs> for the chic set you know okay and does adult magic record with phil douglas as well uh, we did our EP and then that Leftovers EP with Phil, yeah. But we did the album somewhere else. Uh, we did the album at the with this guy, uh, Mike Bardzik, up from uh, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, who uh, used to do uh, recordings at the Creep House 
uh, in Pennsylvania for Creep Records. He actually recorded uh, On the Might of Princes, Kill Your Idols, oh, Contra, right. Flag United, a bunch of bands. So we went to him as like fans of all his recordings and, and cut that record there. Okay. But yeah, I mean, pretty much, I've been in a lot of bands since Down the Dumps, and uh, pretty much every band has recorded 99% of our material with Phil. Yeah. <laughs> To to put it in context, I'm gonna I'm gonna translate for our ex- extreme death metal listeners from New York. To put it in context, Phil Douglas is to like this Long Island um, raw pop punk scene in terms of a producer. What Colin Marston uh, has been in the in the New York uh, black metal and death metal scene the last several years, kind of just this go to figurehead uh, that ha- that commands a lot of respect from from local artists and and fans alike. Again, what we'll get him on eventually, hopefully if he's so inclined, um, I'll reach out. But uh, you know, at, I've had you on for a while now, Mike, and I appreciate your time. And we've kind of um, we've we've come up to uh, somewhat modern times. Obviously, people haven't been as bu- as busy the last few years with the pandemic. But I know you guys with, like I said, um, Adult Magic. You put out your Leftovers EP last year, and uh, Iron Sheik actually released this Cat Gut single. Uh, in 2021 as well. Do you have anything new on the horizon you want to talk about with those bands or any other projects you're involved in? Uh, yeah, I mean, both bands have albums on the way. Uh, the Adult Magic album is pretty much written, uh, just needs to be recorded, and Cheek's uh, working at it. You know, we probably got half a record done, but once the music's there, it comes pretty quickly. And, you know, Hobo House came to its end. Uh, Catco was actually the last song uh, we recorded ever at the Hobo House. Mm, After uh. recording every 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 single song Iron Sheik has ever done has been recorded there. Uh, that was the last song we did. And uh, mm. I actually wound up building a studio in my basement of uh, my house that I got. And... Uh, Iron Sheik and Adult Magic both have been practicing here the last couple of years and will record uh, those records here. You know, Phil's going to record the Iron Sheik one and the Adult Magic one, he'll probably help us engineer and we might just record it ourselves. But yeah, both bands got albums on the way. Great, man. And um, looking forward to that. And, you know, I it would take like a whole nother three hours for me to go through the Dead Broke Records roster and everything <sighs> you've got available. But you do have deadbrokerecords.com. And you have, I, I really enjoy your Dead Broke Records YouTube channel. That, I think, is a great way for um, listeners who are interested in what we've been talking about to familiarize themselves with. Um, not just Dead Broke Records, but maybe this scene in general, if people aren't as familiar with this kind of like ro- more raw side of, of what people call pop, call pop punk and melodic rock music. And, you know, you, you you venture out with Dead Broke Records into a lot of different type of bands. And I mentioned Summer, I mentioned a Somerset Thrower. Who have been playing out quite? Right. I I know that because I you know I keep up with with what's going on with venues and things. I know they've been playing a lot out here on Long Island, just not necessarily the shows that I frequent a lot. Could you just tell me about that band and and your work with them a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, they're definitely like my favorite local band of the last however many years, and you know, all friends that we've been playing in bands together, you know, they're old, a couple of them were in an old band, the agent that, you know, Sheik used to play with. And, um, 
Frank, the singer, was in a band halfway to Health Club that was on Dead Broke, and you know, just friends that have been around and you know, in different bands that we've been friends with and put out and stuff like that. So, I mean, I uh, kind of saw them when they had like two songs out, and I knew they were going to be good. We did their first seven inch. Then we did the album, then we did the second album, and they just, you know, they kind of popped off and, and uh, caught on, you know, uh, making waves and, and doing a lot of cool shit. And like, great band, great people. Yeah, I see them popping up playing live a lot, so I know they're out there working hard. Um, and another band I saw pop up uh, on, your, on your label was uh, Canadian Rifle. Yeah. Uh, where where are the, where are you, they from? The name might be misleading. I don't know if they're from Canada. <laughs> they're a uh, Chicago band, actually. Okay, yeah, just like super super aggressive, uh, you know, raw punk, you know, melodic punk, a little on the harder side, but also yeah. another great band. Chicago makes sense. They are they do they do look kind of hard. Um, so. Uh, and and with that being said, deadbrokerecords.com, people can check out. You have stuff that you distro. Um, you have stuff that you've released. Are there any new artists you're working with, re- upcoming releases, just anything you want to promote from the label like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a ton of fucking shit coming out always. Um, you know, we're going on 20 years this year and uh, over 200 and... 25 releases wow uh so we keep pretty busy at you know all styles of music everything from you know singer songwriter shit to punk to emo to whatever you know um we got a record by a band uh from dimber that's the next record out it's like a la uh queer punk band really good you know poppy punk stuff and Bunch of reissues. I got the Iron Sheet, uh, Cat Gut, Seven Inch Dropping Next. A uh, bunch of shit. Bunch of shit coming out always. Uh, just not, you know, not just for fans of punk for anything. We also, the main thing I do nowadays is the distro. Uh, it's basically just like an online record store that carries all types of independent DIY, punk, hardcore, emo, everything. I got, you know, almost 3,000 titles in my basement. Uh, just I just basically do that full-time selling records. Uh, awesome. And one one more band I wanted to ask quickly that, that uh, just came to my mind, Sewer Trout. Is that a reissue of an older band? Yeah, yeah. They were like an 80s, like, Sacramento band. Uh, you know, kind of came out of Gilman Street, like, Mm-hmm. lookout scene in the 80s where you know operation ivy and green day and all those bands later came out of uh but they were a sacramento band they used to play with like fucking circle jerks and all kinds of crazy shit like that but you know just a really goofy uh intelligent uh 80s quirky punk band you know mm-hmm. did a reissue of them a bunch bunch of different shit i got a reissue of you know on the might of princes i'm doing a reissue of uh this guy pete donnelly who is in this long-running upstate new york band called the figs 
that actually got pretty big in the 90s on Capitol Records and stuff like that. They've been around 35 years or something like that, but his solo record and so he's keeping busy. All right, so not just newer artists. You're doing some kind of like classic um, and somewhat obscure reissues. I, I That Sewer Trout, I really enjoyed the sound. It had this raw... I said, if this is a new band, they really nailed the vintage sound. But obviously, it's a, it's, it's got that really cool, uh, nostalgic punk sound. And um, uh, it, it was a little unexpected because I didn't realize that you were in the reissue game as well. Yeah, I mean, we've done a bunch. We... Uh, there was this band 15 that came out of the Gilman street scene, like the lookout, you know, came, green day, like came up going to their shows and stuff like that. I, I reissued their records a couple of years ago and, you know, I reissued the, on the might of princes record and yeah, but I got, you know, I like, uh, keeping stuff around. I, I, uh, I run a label because I'm like obsessed with archiving things and making sure that they're around for the next generation, you know, whether it's music that me and my friends make or it's something that got lost in the sands of the times from the 80s or the 90s, whatever. Just I think it's important to document this shit. I it's I, I love hearing that because it's a similar motivation that 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 makes me um uh, interview some of these like older classic death metal bands that I can get a hold of. You know what I mean? It's every once in a while you hear about one of these old guys from from the eighties uh, death metal bands passing away, and I'm just like, damn, I wish I had got that interview and you know documented that story a little bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, you definitely got to pay your respect to the ones that paved the way. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's important. A hundred percent, man. So. Uh, and with that being said, um, you've been very generous with your time, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, we we talked about what you have upcoming from the bands and from the label, uh, and I'll give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else you want on the way out. The, the last question I always ask every guest is, could you please recommend for, for me and the listeners one older and one newer release by any artist you like, um, metal, rock, any any genre. It could be an album, a demo, um, no no stringent rules, just something a little bit more old and something a little bit more new as a recommendation. Ooh, okay. Are we talking independent here or it doesn't matter, no rules? No, yeah, no rules. I mean, people have recommended classical music, pop music, um, more relevant extreme music. You can go wherever you want with this. Uh, as far as old stuff goes, I, I, you definitely caught me in the middle of like an insane, like Sin Lizzy, uh, hole right now. I just, yes, <laughs> so yeah. I would, I would say if, if anybody's not familiar with the deep Sin Lizzy catalog, I would definitely say check out like, uh, Bad Reputation or Johnny the Fox or one of their lesser known records that's not Jailbreak because those motherfuckers seriously kind of invented metal almost i know that might be sacrilegious to say on this kind of podcast but what a fucking important band man and i feel like just got so overlooked in america that that actually gets you like more points on this podcast that's that's a, a that, that shows it shows deeper knowledge of metal um and i you know I, I would agree on some level that thin lizzy does not get the attention they should i think they should probably come up in the same conversation as your led zeppelin and your black sabbath and your judas priest when you're talking about influential metal bands absolutely they constantly get snubbed here but yeah, yeah phenomenal band i just watched the documentary about uh 
Phil Lynott, and it was just amazing, and it sent me in like a two-week hole of listening to every record over and over again. That's great. And and as far as new bands go, hmm, let's see here. I'm going to pull up my uh, Spotify here and see what's one of the last things I was listening to. I mean, Screaming Females is a band that... uh, not necessarily a new band, probably been along around just as long as Iron Cheek, but for some reason I missed their last record that they released like last year or a year before, and I just got hip to that. And man, fucking, what a band. Great band. Total fucking guitar rock. Uh, the girl that plays for them, Marissa, is just one of the most phenomenal guitar players I've ever seen and heard, so that's definitely a band. Uh, that people should check out Screaming Females. Okay, Screaming Females' latest album, um, Thin Lizzy and Screaming Females. I, I, I like it, man. I, and I I definitely want to go down the wormhole on Thin Lizzy because I admittedly probably don't know as many deep cuts as you do. Um, shout out to my my buddy Rick will take me there. But um, Mike, uh, I really appreciate your time. It's been a great talk, and I'm very nostalgic for a lot of the stuff that we got into. So I appreciate it. Um, any parting words for fans of your music and your label and listeners of our show? Uh, don't wait around for somebody to put out your record or make music that you want to hear. Just fucking do it yourself, you know? Make make that music and put out your own record and, you know, that's what it's all about. Great, great advice, man. I love it. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for your time, man. We appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot, Will. I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you to tonight's guest, Mike Bruno of Iron Sheik and Adult Magic, and of course his record label, Dead Broke Records, all based out of Long Island. Um, we appreciate his uh, his insight and his perspective. Definitely want to talk to some more people based out of that regional scene. But um, speaking of regional scenes, tonight I have somebody from the island of Staten co-hosting my old friend, Rick Habib. Rick, you still with me? I'm still here, buddy. Hey, Dons. How's everyone, Dons? Night. I thought you might have fallen asleep in your like lavender uh, lit room over there. You got some. You got some funny lighting over there. Yeah, you know we we go for the nice and peace and tranquility of lavender uh, <laughs> around here. Yeah, I was gonna say, how does the room smell? What's going on with, this, with the scent? Of lavender. I mean, it's all about that. Actually, hold on. I got, yeah. I'm sorry. I got the blue light on right there. Now we're gonna go. From, yeah, we'll nice. Go lavender. Nice. Go there. there we go. Now we go lavender. Yeah, I'm picturing like a cucumber melon scent arising. It's all about essence. Nice. You know, it's the, the essence. Speaking of the essence, Rick, you're always you're always handy uh, with pinning down the essence of classic doom metal mm. and um you know tonight we, we, we go all over the place we went to long island we went to the punk rock scene uh we talked about some some different type of stuff tonight rick i want i want you to just throw me a curveball in the complete opposite direction recommend for me and the listeners some classic wonderful beautiful 
death doom metal. Maybe something from back in the day. Maybe from something from a little bit more recently. Maybe something with operatic vocals. I don't know. What do you got in your bag? Okay. Well, um, from back in the day with operatic vocals and, and a little bit less in the death doom and more in the more in the uh, epic black kind of bordering on black metal ish, but with female vocals. It's a band called Rain Fell Within. They were from Virginia. Hmm. They put out two records. The first one was called Believe. That's the record I'm recommend recommending tonight. We used to play with these guys uh, a couple times back in the day, definitely at the Metal Fest. I think we may have played some off shows with them, with Grace Guys Fallen. Uh, but this album uh, I, I had on CD and I lost all my CDs. And I found actually the CD with no case and I popped it in for the first time in you know, like 20 years recently. And I was really impressed by it. And I always liked that band. Huh. Definitely something good about it. The guitarists were great. Actually, it was one guitar, I think, but uh, the vocals were really good for that kind of thing. So uh, that's my recommendation. There. I don't think any of them really kind of went on into other uh, bands after that uh, band split up in like 2002, I think. They put out a second album, and I, which I never heard, but the first one was awesome. Yeah, you you sent me a link to it or, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier in the day. And mm -hmm. I got to say, I... Uh, it was compelling to me. The vocals were a little bit hard for me to get my head around. Right. Not that it's they not were kind of thing. Not <laughs> that they were bad. They're they're very like impressive actually for what they do. Um, and then what what was really cool was the metal involved. It wasn't what you might normally associate with those kind of operatic yeah. vocals. It was it was heavy. It was underground. Darker, the production yeah. was a little right, and the drums were really busy. The drums were a good drummer on that. Yeah, and uh, busy was, bombastic was drums. Yeah, and it was also, it was put out on a, a good label from back then, Dark Symphonies Records. They had put out uh, a bunch of good stuff back then. Autumn Tears was on that label. I, I think that was his label, the owner's uh, band, actually. But I'm not sure if they're still putting records out. I, I don't know. Well, there is dark, it. there's definitely Dark Symphonies now. That I, I've i seen that. I don't know if it's the same thing. I yeah, gotta be honest. Yeah. But this All was right. like from uh, New England. This was a label from out of New England, I believe, they were based out of. All right, we got it. We got to check the facts on that one, man. But yeah, yeah. Good, good recommendation nonetheless. Might be worth a shot for the listeners, um, just because it's not daily listening for me. It was still worth a listen. It was interesting music. Um, we'll 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 ask Tom. Shout to Tom and Justin behind the scenes as always. Tom, roll that that, that in for for everybody. <laughs> Right, so that that was rain fell within, right, Rick from Virginia back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, you got something a little bit more current. Yeah, a band called Enixorum. Whoa, uh, whoa, slow, slow. Spell yeah. spell that out for everybody. I N E X, like in excess. O R U M. Okay, as in Mary Enixorum. All right, their new you. album Equinox Vigil. Uh, I, from what I can tell, it seems to be self-released. I, I, I see a cassette being, um, being made available for pre-order. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't see any CDs or vinyl or anything like that. But I was turned on to this from, um, it may have been, um, a podcast that had, uh, 
shouted us out in on Twitter. Um, and I checked out their podcast, which I have to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dropping the ball on this, not giving them proper credit, but it, they were talking about this band and I checked them out right away. I bought the record on Bandcamp and it's really good. It's melodic black metal, uh, and, you know, with good production. You know, I know that's, that might be a little touchy subject for black metal fans or whatnot, but it's really, you know, up there in production and the guitar playing is great and the, the leads are awesome and, uh, I, I the drumming is great and it's, it's all a good package. I recommend that as well. Yeah, you sent me the link, and when you say black metal, I would just say it and like the production value. If I was going to compare it to any style of black metal, I'd say maybe some of the the more be- better produced Swedish black, like Dissection or Marduk or Dark right. Dark Funeral, rather than the cult, um, you know, staticky produced yeah. bands. And there was a lot of like classical doom metal in there too. It's very Absolutely. very heavy and extreme with raw vocals, um, but I could see. Uh, you know, like American that mel- band melodic black metal, but also doom metal going on in there. Really cool, epic stuff, man. V- v- evoking a lot of emotion. Really cool band. Yeah, I just got turned on to them about uh, three or four days ago, actually. It's pretty cool. I they're, I forget where they're from. They're from the U.S. I, I don't remember what state they're from. Ah, oh, shit. I should have looked that up before I came on, too. But that, that's cool. You know, American, uh, whatever, black metal is, is pretty awesome. They, you were saying the bands that you had mentioned. I also always bring up Hava Krunu, who is like sim- like melodic, amazing black metal like this in this style, in this modern style, kind of with the good production and amazing musicianship. <laughs> always check that band out. The 2020 album, which I can't pronounce, I believe they're Finnish, uh, and it's all in Finnish. So check that out as well. Okay, so what was the first band? Inexorum. Inexorum. What was the other band that you were talking about, the Finnish bands? The other band we were talking about, just real quick, was because we were talking about the uh, similarities, maybe, is Havukrunu, H-A-V-U-K-R-U-N-N-U. Or it's a similar. It's, it's, it's about that. You'll find it. They're on. Uh, <laughs> they're on. Uh, good. They're on. Uh, Warmock Productions. I forget how to. They're a very amazing band. Amazing band. Check fair them enough, out. Well. Fair enough. Fair enough.
and uh, and we're back. Uh, that was that was Rick's doom metal and black metal experience. We appreciate those recommendations. Um, and for the listener, Rick, I understand you got one more, man. You were, I wasn't going to allow it. I was going to I was going to call you a, a yellow flag on this one. But you, oh, and then yeah. I, when I realized who it was, it's people we know. It's friends of the show and past guests oh, yeah. of the show. Hit the listeners with this recommendation. Of course, it's a new False Gods album, Neurotopia. It slaps pretty hard, man. It's really good. It's their best shit so far. And they're always pumping out uh, quality material. So um, I got it on vinyl. It just came the other day. I uh, listened to it um, digitally prior to that. And uh, then I cranked it on vinyl when I got it. And it sounds great. It's really good album. Mikey Stack, shout out to him. Shout out to Greg March. Nick Luisi, Paulie Stack, all those boys. Shout out to all those gentlemen. 100%, man. I'm going to be 100% honest. I still have this on my list of stuff I got to check out. Oh, it's a good um, one, man. Yeah. Uh, but we'll do Yeah, I mean, I these guys can do no wrong. Um, listeners of the show can go back and listen to our interviews with Mikey Stack, and then we also had Nick Luisi on the show. We'll get other members of that band in the future, hopefully. Um, really great local guys. Uh, interesting sound. Somewhere, I'd say, between your... Um, kind of like post-hardcore, expansive, doomy, uh, kind of stuff. Very, very melodic, and 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 Mikey has just a yeah, one in a million voice. You know, you can pick Mikey's voice out of a lineup for sure. <laughs> yeah, his vocals are great on this album. You know, yeah, stand out. Yeah, stand Um, definitely false gods. It would be great. I would love to hook up with false gods and get some shows at Reeking Ore in the future. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're already uh, talking about that behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, me and Greg. Yeah, and while we're spilling so. beans, uh, for Reeking Ore behind the scenes, um, we mentioned before we got a show coming up. Uh, there's still time to catch it because it's going to be September 3rd at Amityville Music Hall at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. It's a death metal matinee show, so you don't have to stay up late if you're old like me. It's the Reeking Aura Blood and Bone Mill CD release show, September 3rd, Amityville Music Hall, 1 p.m. matinee with uh, Cavern Womb, Doom Creeper, and Ninth Realm. Uh, some great. Uh, underground death metal bands. It's a bill full of uh, death metal. There's not even there's not even like the weirdo metalcore band that sold a bunch of tickets to open up. We don't do any of that type of shit out here. It's straight up death metal. And the beautiful part about this is it's a 1 p.m. matinee, so you have plenty of time that same day, November 3rd. I mean, September 3rd. Pardon me. I'm getting excited out here. September 3rd. Uh, after you catch Amityville Musical, Reeking Ore record release show there, you go out to uh, Brooklyn to the St. Vitus Bar where you can catch Gray Skies Fallen, which, of course, mm-hmm. is uh, my friend here, Rick, and uh, Tom from Reeking Ore in Gray Skies Fallen playing with Oceans of Slumber. So, uh, Rick, anything else? Did I forget anything? Uh, no, that's just going to be a crazy day. And we actually, just to remind you, we have rehearsal for Reeking Aura before we play. So it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun day there. We're going to jam, then we're going to play a show. And then uh, Rick and Tom are going to run to Brooklyn and play another show. And uh, yeah. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be mint, as we say on Staten Island. Mint. I'm, I'm gonna have a variety of clean towels for myself throughout. I gotta the, start bringing a towel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have a whole variety of clean towels throughout the day for myself. That's how. That's how I'll get, change get through. Yeah. Change. Yeah, I'm gonna have about five or six changes of clothes throughout the day. <laughs> Uh, still, it might, it might still be hot out. It's still going to be early September. Yeah, um, it's going to be warm. And with mm-hmm. Reeking Ore, we are also looking into some stuff for this November and on into the winter season. We are, we're not announcing anything yet, but um, we're behind the scenes cranking on that. Uh, Exsanguinated, which of course is myself, 
uh, and Sam of Reeking Aura uh, and some of our local friends here in Exsanguinated. We're making moves. Please check out Exsanguinated um, uh, coming down. I'll just say Pennsylvania, and we're trying to go go some other places this coming September. Follow Exsanguinated on oh. social media. Um, we're about some Pennsylvania. I might have to uh, go to that. That's the, uh, the what, what's the little donut like. shop? Isn't that donut shop by you over there? Mm, is it in uh, Scranton or something like that? Or is, hold on, there's I, a little scene up in there, uh, up in Scranton, from and what I've I've seen. Just like the ju- just like the listeners are in real time uh, watching me at a show. Pull this up on my phone with my garlic breath. Um, no, it's the Long Island Death Metal Invasion, September 16th at Curry's Donuts. Mm. Um, Stab. Bowel erosion and exsanguinated with the wow. Virgos. Uh, curry, yeah, at, no, at curry, yeah, curry donuts there. Um, I'm not sure what town that is. You got to look that up. That's in Pennsylvania Ooh, there. But yeah, that's um, pretty nuts. Rick, it's worth a drive. I'll buy you a donut. I'll buy, oh, yeah, buy, buy the donuts for the whole gang. Um, Get me a crulla. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to try a, uh, a Boston cream outside of Boston, but we'll see. Oh, God. <laughs> Anything else going on out there that we should talk about? Uh, let's see. We got, we got some, uh, like you said, we got something on the brewing for hopefully this fall for a little live situation. So we're going to try to, uh, break our teeth, uh, on some live shows. We already played one and, uh, we're going to get better with that. And, uh, all speed, ahead, all speed ahead with this band is is, is all I'm yeah. saying. Bing bong. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna round that. That's the reeking aura talk. Please follow reeking aura on social media. We're giving it the old college tryout here. Um, and some other upcoming shows this weekend. If you're listening to this episode in real time, Saturday, August sixth, me and Rick are heading up to Boston, Massachusetts to catch Molly Crew, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Black Hearts at Fenway Park in Boston. At Fenway Park. At yeah, Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts. Great. I would not, I mean, yeah, wow. me, no, I'm just, I, me and Rick will not be there signing Reeking Aura CDs. Yeah, I'm sorry. Never go there. Never but, go to Fenway Park. But uh, also Crowbar at the Chance in Poughkeepsie, New York, Saturday, August 6th. Uh, if you got nothing else going on, you might want to go to um, the old uh, Sunday, August 7th, Incantation, Goat Whore, Bewitcher, and Caveman Cult at the Middle East in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, shout out to NYC Metal Scene, by the way. NYC Metal Scene, your most comprehensive list of shows, not just in New York, apparently, all the way up and down New England. Uh, Matt always doing his thing. I'm just trying to promote his site a little bit and let you know about some shows in case you didn't know about the site. I'm reading it right off his site, shamelessly. That Crowbar Spirit of Drift Tour is coming oh, Tuesday, August 9th to St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn yeah. with our good friend Stabbed opening up. Shout out to Sam and the boys mm-hmm. over there. Um, what else we got? Crowbar is going to be in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Wednesday, August 10th at the Anchor Rock Club. Um, hey, how's this? Wednesday, August 10th, 2022 at the Debonair Musical in Teaneck, New Jersey. There's a whole bunch of ska going on. The Toasters, uh, Hub City Stompers. Yeah, if you like ska, I don't do you. Rick, what, wow. do, you, what's, what do you think about ska over there, Rick? Uh, I didn't know that they still made that. <laughs> well, I hey, here's one. Here, still there. Here's what. Shout to tonight's guest, Mike Bruno, because the Goo Goo Dolls are playing uh, Friday, August the twelfth, in Hartford, Connecticut, at the Hartford Amphitheater. Man, he was talking about the old Goo Goo Dolls there, and they're going to be at the PNC Art Center, in New Jersey, Saturday, August thirteenth. But Rick and me, Saturday, August thirteenth, are going to be at the Waterfront Music Pavilion in Camden, New Jersey, <laughs> watching Sticks, Ario Speedwagon, and Loverboy. Come on. 
No, I, I don't go to sticks without Dennis D. Young. This is not Tommy Shaw's uh, <laughs> sh- show over here. You know what I'm saying? They threw him out because he can't stand the stage lights, apparently, and he's been crying for 30 years about it. So. Wow. Wow. Rick always with the deep knowledge, man. Okay, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 it's fun. All right, all right. I, I may have to lay off of that until Anthrax, Black Label Society, and Hatebreed play at the Armory in Rochester, New York. Oh, wow. And Roch- Hatebreed in Rochester sounds like a problem. You're not leaving with all your teeth. After that one, man. Shout out to everybody at Rochester. Shout out to Oz and everybody up at the Bug Jar in Rochester, man. Lovely people. Friday, August the 26th, 2022, at the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn. It's a no-holds-bar match. Rotravor, classic, historic, brutal death metal band coming back with Ritual Mass, Vamitar, and Exsanguinated, which, uh, shameless plug, wow. that's a band I am in with Sam, the drummer of Reeking Ore, Exsanguinated from Long Island. Honored to be playing with Rotravor, Ritual Mass, and Vamitar Friday, August 26th, 2022. 22 at the St. Vitus Bar over there. Um, Fulci, Oxygen, Oxygen Destroyer, our friends in Skullshitter, we did a whole episode with them, and our friends with Oxalate, who we got to get on the show at the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn, Saturday, August 27th, 2022. My man Rick's rocking the Oxalate shirt right now. It's a funky logo. It's a funky logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Poly Walnut shirt, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P., R.I.P. Um, oh, here's one for you. Sunday, August 28th, 2022, at the Union Transfer in Philly. You got At the Gates, Municipal Waste, Enforced, thrown Whoa. into exile. I'm glad to see Enforced on that. That's nice. They're, 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 they're getting out there. They're doing their thing. Young young guys in the game. Yeah. Um, uh, what else we got here? Hold, hold on a second. So bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. We got Oceans. Oh, here's one. Oceans of Slumber, Gray Skies Fallen, and Solemn mm. Vision. Oh, Solemn Vision is playing yeah. that, huh? That's, uh, yeah. that's Aaron, isn't it? I, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I know these things, Rick. I'm gonna I, have to. I'm gonna have to get into this. Nothing gets past my um, my the octopus tentacles of my <laughs> network of knowledge in the New York scene. Don't worry. Sunday, September t- uh, the fourth, two thousand twenty-two. Deicide and Cataclysm at Gramercy Theater in Manhattan, wow. New York. You know, see, Deicide does not come through New York, New York City often. They do a lot of tours where they don't even hit New York City. I'm not. We've talked about this on the show, Rick. I really, for me personally, Cataclysm, modern post Sylvain is not for me. They do very well right. without me at the shows. Yeah. I hear, I understand they don't need me up front. Rick, Rick, do you do you listen to Cataclysm? What's your opinion? I uh, I had the first um, the first album way back. It was a promo copy that I got in Zigzag Records in 1994. That's about my familiarity with Cataclysm. Hmm. Uh, and I haven't really pursued much after that. But I remember back then I liked I liked it, and and that's that's about all I that's about all I heard. I do know of the uh, the rift here after the uh, vocalist left, and uh, people kind of shift after that. I guess right. I tell you what, my personal preference. I wish Deicide was touring with this band instead, the Scorpions. Who are playing at Borgata Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Monday, <laughs> September fifth? <laughs> How old are those dudes, man? Well, I don't know, but I, I bet you they still rock, bro. Here you go. Scorpions are playing at Belmont Park in Queens, New York, Wednesday, September twenty, uh, uh, September seventh. Well, the horses. Wednesday, playing, September seventh. Scorpions at Belmont Park and what's that all about? You seen shows there? No, I didn't even know they had shows there. That's the racetrack. We used to be, me and the guys in Cursed Earth used to smoke weed when I was a fucking abandoned yeah. runes in fucking Belmont Racetrack, allegedly, after rehearsal. Allegedly. After rehearsal, back in the late 90s, Belmont Racetrack was a band. You could sneak in there. 
That's crazy. All right. Um, I think it was that. Okay, so I, I might not remember. Who knows? That's wild. So, so I might be catching the Scorpions up there. Scorpions at the Fox. <laughs> no, Scorpions at the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. They're yeah. in all the good places. September 9th. Um, here's one. Saturday, September 10th, 2022 at the Brooklyn Monarch in Brooklyn, New York. DRI, 40th anniversary tour with Gutter Mouth, Bonded by Blood. Uh, DRI classic band, classic crossover band. Um, hold on a second, man. Bear, bear with me here because we got... Um, if you want to be surrounded by drunk off-duty cops, you could always go to Megadeth and Five Finger Death Punch Monday, September 12, 2022 at Long, at Long Island's own Jones Beach Theater. <laughs> That's coming up here uh, to PA, I think in Scranton also. Yeah, Megadeth boy. Oh, man. Priest is also playing up there too, so I might have to go see Priest. I never saw Priest before, so. I'm going to see Judas Priest and Queensryche at Nassau Coliseum. That's and, the show, yeah. October 18th. That's the show, but it's Long Island. See, dude, when you go to these type of like vintage 80s, early oh, 90s man. metal shows on Long, Long Island, Island, yeah, 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 it brings out a certain crowd. It's different. It's it bring, different it, people. Yeah, I hear you, man. You might not want to bring the wife and kids to these shows. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's a lot of Sal. There's a lot of like Sal adjacent <laughs> vibes. You know, like Sal's not there, not there, but he's there in spirit. You know, it's fifteen thousand Sal's in the parking lot. Yeah, a lot of Sal's, a lot of Rigobertos. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys. You know, Salvatore's all over the place. Um, but Saturday, September, Saturday the September the seventeenth, two thousand twenty-two. Go to the Back from the Dead Fest uh, Part Two, which is going to be at um, Sovereign in Brooklyn, New York. Headlined by Malignancy, Pyrexia, Mortal Suffering, Sick Bay, Tombstone, a torn in half, coronary thrombosis, cranial damage, and many more. Some past guests of the show on that one. Um, and also, you can go see Saturday, September seventeenth, two thousand twenty-two, Meshuggah at the Franklin Musical in Philly. Uh, who else we got there? What What, do you, what are your thoughts on Lacuna Coil? Oh, again, uh, never really got into them back, even back in the day. Uh, wasn't wasn't really my thing. Yeah, Lacuna Coil, Butcher Babies, Uncured, Saturday, yeah. September 17th at the Gramercy Theater there in New York. Okay, it's going on. Oh, and uh, Sunday, September 18th. I guess they do, what are they doing, two shows? They're, I guess they're doing better than us. <laughs> what about this Thursday, Thursday, September 22nd, 2022 Testament Exodus Death Angel at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, Maryland. Next day, Friday, wow. the uh, 23rd, they're going to be in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, that's that's I could go to that. That's a half hour away from me, man. But and that's straight out of 1990. That tour. It's going to be September uh, 24th, Palladium Times Square in New York City. Those guys. I'm going to go to the one in Stroudsburg. It's sick. This is a good one, speaking of sick right here. All kidding aside, Saturday, September 24th, Volusia, Psychroptic, Interloper, Cognitive, our boy Rob Warren wow. in the building, uh, Vision Serpent, Divergence at 17 Meadow Street, Brooklyn, New York. Um, Who, what, that's, what is that? Yeah, I'm not sure what? the venue. 17 Meadow Street, Brooklyn, New York. Um, but yeah, Fallujah, Psychroptic, and Cognitive on a gig together makes a lot of sense. The rest of the yeah. men's uh, I'm not as familiar with, but I'm sure they're, that's, a, that's a very credible... This is oh, this is a good one here. Wednesday, September the twenty eighth, New Order and the Pet Shop Boys at MSG. Wow, wow. MSG they're playing. New Jeez. Order and Pet Shop Boys at Madison Square Garden. That's they wild. Could still pull that. Yeah, they could pull the fifteen thousand people in there, man. New Order and Pet Shop Boys can pull MSG. I could see that though. I could see a lot of yeah. the, the yeah, the eighties are huge, man. Especially now with the Stranger yeah, Things, dude. Yeah, a lot of them people, people with love the that over, shit. The overalls and the and the the weird uh, capri jeans out there in Brooklyn. They'll be all over there. The yeah. New Order. All I know is that, like we said, I'm from Staten Island. We talk about Cavaricis, Z Cavaricis. Those are the only only pants anybody 
everybody wore in Staten Island. I'd like, so, I'd, like that. I'd like to thank you for that. I'd like to thank you for that fashion tip. Uh, I might take you up on that Thursday, October this uh, 6th, 2022, because you got to look good on October 6th when you go see Full of Hell, Blood Incantation, co-headlining tour with Vermin Womb, Mortuous, and God is War at the Brooklyn Monarch in Brooklyn, New York. That's... That's pretty crazy. Cool. That's pre- so is this one. Thursday, October the 6th, L7 at Irving Plaza. L7 still Pretend that you're dead, man. Dude, the yeah. L- Irving Plaza in 2022, that's L7 still got the pull like that, huh? Okay. Yeah, Irving Plaza is a great place to see a show. Uh, I might have to go to Starland Ballroom to see E-Town Saturday, October Ooh. 8th. You're going there. Also a cool place to see a show. I love E-Town Concrete. We all know that. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, KMFDM playing the Paramount right here in Huntington, Long Island. KMFDM. KMFDM. That's, that's interesting yeah. to me. That's all these 90s bands. Look, KMFDM's coming back. So is Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction at TD Garden in Boston, October the 16th. That's interesting. Arena. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm not hating, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, who else we got? I'm just looking. Uh, accept it. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Shut it down. What happened? Friday, October 21st, you got Accept at Stereo Garden in Long, Long Island, New York. Accept is playing Patchogue. Oh, shit. We got to get Keith Moore. Shout out to Keith Moore and Sam Hoyas. We'll go to Patchogue and see Accept. That is dangerous. They're also playing Manhattan and New Jersey. Shout out to them for playing Long Island. Yeah, um, yeah. And all, yeah that's nice, man. Uh, Thursday, October 27th, Venom Inc., I Hate God at Gramercy Theater in Manhattan, New York. That's a good mm. one. Wow, check this out, bro. Thursday, October 27th, Napalm Death, Bruheria, mm. Frozen mm. Soul, MDC at Paradise Rock Club mm. in Boston, Massachusetts. Next day on October 28th, same thing, Williamsburg in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Music Hall of Williamsburg. Um, next day, the Bowery Ballroom in Manhattan. That is quite a tour right there. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I got to see them in 96. Napalm. Opening Jesus. for Out the Gates. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful that's a beautiful tale. Any interesting stories from that? It was at the Stone Pony in uh, nice. Asbury Park. And um, from what I remember, Napalm. Oh, no, my bad. Napalm headlined at the gates open. So think about that. At the gates, Slaughter of the Soul, yeah. pretty hot. Napalm Death in 1996. What was that? Fear, Emptiness. You know, it was that album? Or, it was, it was, know, it was before, they, they, before they kind of fell off with Diet Tribes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, anyway, it was awesome. It was a small venue to see those two bands, and it was great. Beautiful. Yeah, man. So we urge you to, to check out all these uh, uh, shows. If you got a show coming up you want to promote, leave us a little voicemail there. The voicemail should be wherever you listen to this in the description. Um, if not, you can always go to heavyholepodcast.com. You can support us on Patreon for some bonus episodes um, and little clips and outtakes and cute little things, all sorts of things we post up there. Uh, of course, uh, Reeking Aura is the band. Gray Skies Fallen is the other band. Brave the Waters is the other band that you can catch my co-host, uh, Rick Habib, and special doom metal correspondent. Rick, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me as usual, man. I love it. Of course, man. And thanks also to Mike Bruno, our guest, um, for the interview segment of today's episode. We urge you to check out Iron Sheik, Adult Magic, and Dead Broke Records and all the other music we discussed in this episode. Uh, and that is about it. Shout out to Dave Gladding, um, uh, our, our other co-host out there in the world, raising children like a, mm. like a, like a good man. Responsible, uh, man. Yeah, and Tom and Justin, as always, behind the scenes, rocking you with the production angle and all that sort of thing, man. And Rick, uh, hold, having my back and never leaving me down to the last only one. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't cut it, man.